everyone. Welcome to Nutrition Navigators podcast, bringing nutrition and wellness to you. Together, we learn from a variety of health professionals about their stories and how they contribute to the world that is wellness. This podcast is an extension of our Campus Health Program Nutrition Navigators Spotlight Series presentations. We are a monthly podcast where we interview health professionals in the field about health and wellness topics for college students. This is our opportunity to grow and build community with University of Arizona students. My name is Kayla. I'm the student coordinator for Nutrition Navigators. Ashley Monroe is my co-host and one of the nutrition counselors at Campus Health and the advisor for Nutrition Navigators. And our third co-host is here as well. She's an awesome volunteer for Nutrition Navigators, Gerbeen. Gerbeen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Gerbeen Didiella. I'm currently a sophomore at the U of A, and I'm majoring in microbiology with a minor in Spanish. Um, I decided to join Nutrition Navigators because I've been in nutri- interested in nutrition for a long time now, and I noticed that in my couple years of college, not many people really like paid attention to it, and it's such a small thing, but it really makes a difference. So I joined to help other college students get more educated and understand um, nutrition better. Awesome. Thank you so much for introducing yourself, Gerbeen. I'm super excited to have you here for today's podcast. Let's get started. On today's episode, we have the great and knowledgeable Dr. Duke Duncan from our very own University of Arizona campus. He will be sharing more about the amazing study he was a part of regarding plant-based diets. Now let's welcome Dr. Duncan. All right. So our first question for you, Dr. Duncan, is just to please let our listeners know who you are, where you are from, and what it is that you do. My name is Duke Duncan. I'm a pediatrician by training um, and worked with children with disabilities for almost my entire career, which spanned, I guess, a half a century or so. Um, I tried to retire maybe six or seven years or so ago, and that lasted for about uh, two days, three days, maybe I couldn't. I couldn't take it. So I was fortunate to get a um, teaching job at the College of Public Health, and ever since. And um, it's a whole different um, career for me. I mean, it was clinical work primarily with kids with disabilities, working with students and pediatric residents, and I love that. Love the kids. They're absolutely insightful and they taught me a tremendous amount um, and now it's a whole different thing you know it's a classroom full of, full of very eager energetic students who challenge me all the time and make me think and keep my bed cells going I hopefully for a much longer time and hopefully preventing the plaques from developing and getting dementia um, so anyway I just you know, I, I love what I do uh, and, and have all my career. You know, it's a joy to get up in the morning and get off to work. So I just, I love the inter- interchange and the activity and the stimulation that the students give me. That's so great. Um, and what a, I always think it's really probably such a rich experience to have a very strong clinical background and then translate that into the classroom. Um, do you find that that gave you some good perspective when going into teaching, having had this vast kind of experience in the clinical world? You know, you know, absolutely. Bring a lot of the clinical stuff. I 
learned uh, during the clinical years into the public health arena. And again, it's a whole different uh, uh, situation. You know, in the clinical field, you're with uh, your child and his parent or her parent, and um, this, is a, this is a whole different thing, but absolutely tr tremendously enjoyable for me uh, and challenging. I've read a lot more books since then, uh, not as many articles, but a lot more books. And um, hopefully I can bring something to the students that will stimulate them and get them to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, and I think that you know, learning has to be enjoyable. If it's stressful and pushy and you've got to get an A in this course, that's not good. Right. You know, I have stopped believing in quizzes. Uh, I just think that, you know, students will often read the assigned stuff to try to guess what the quiz is going to be about. And that's not the thing that they got to do. You know, they've got to learn, I think, by what they want to want to get out of it. Yeah. So I switched from quizzes each week that we have our uh, teaching session to reflections. So what I want the students to do is to read the assignment and then write me a one-page reflection. And the first part of that page is what they knew before they came in to read these assignments. Mm -hmm. What is their background knowledge? What do they know about it? Yeah. And secondly, what they've learned from the readings that relate to what they already knew. So it's a matter of building on a structure of what they knew to add on to it new information. And that's that's the quiz. You know, they yeah. do that on their own and turn that those reflections in, and that's has now substituted for quizzes. Which I I, I I may be wrong, but I think that the students get more out of that. And hopefully they learn more because they're pulling out of the readings things that are of interest to them. Right. And then it's a meaning for them rather than you know working for the quiz. Right. Uh, so my whole approach to that is, has changed over the years. And again, I have no information as to whether or not that's more effective or less effective or not. But anyway. Yeah. And you you mentioned, you know, the quiz and the curriculum. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the course? You know, today we're going to talk about plant-based nutrition. Can you talk to us a little bit about the course that you teach in the public health department um, to students about plant-based nutrition? Sure. Uh, the course I teach is called Biology and Public Health. Uh, and when I was asked to teach this course, I really didn't know what that title meant. I didn't know what to do with it. It, it was a course that had been taught previously, and I looked at the syllabus and the textbook, and I wanted to kind of redo it, which we did. And I worked with an oncologist at the College of Medicine, and we worked out a course which goes like this. It's kind of a life cycle course. And what we did was it's a three-unit course for upper-level undergraduates and graduate students. And um, it meets once a week for three hours. And so I thought to myself, three hours? <laughs> can, I really keep, can I really keep these students active and interested for three hours? I mean, that's a, that's a, a task. A tall order. Yeah. But we decided to do the following. We're going to have this life cycle thing. And there's, you know, each week we'll talk about a different condition. 
And we'll start with pregnancy and go through aging. So it's pregnancy, early childhood development, chronic conditions in childhood, child abuse, chronic or, or infectious diseases and immunizations, mental health, autoimmune disease, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, aging. So each week we have one of those topics. In the first hour, we have a person with that condition come in and tell their story. Oh, I love that. I want the students to understand what it's like to have that thing or that condition. Mm -hmm. I've told the people who come in with the condition to talk to the students about, number one, what it's like to have it yourself. What effect has that had on your family? Mm. And what effect does it have on society or what, how does society affected by it? Mm -hmm. That's the public health aspect of it. The second hour is a discussion about the biology of this thing. You know, what, what is the biology of obesity, for example? When we hear a lot about the epidemiology of obesity, but what's the biology of it? Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can do about the biology to make it better or to prevent it from even happening? The, the third hour is the students in their groups. There'll be four or five students assigned or elected to be in one of these conditions. And they then get together as a group of four or five and discuss the readings. You know, how does it affect them? What do they learn from it? Mm -hmm. And then they come back and tell us what their reflections are about this course. So that's kind of the format of the course. Uh, that's, that's so great. It's like a lot of collaborative learning and this um, kind of insight into not just the textbook awareness of a, of a condition, but like the real life experience of a person with the condition. So it's very like person first mentality around, around health. I think that's really, I think that I've, I don't know if I've ever heard that in any other course. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the, the people who come in, I mean, they're really candid about mm -hmm. what they tell them. There's, these are, you know, 60 students that they've never seen before. And they tell some very personal things. Yeah. I mean, very personal. And then the students get a chance to ask some questions about, you know, what's it really like that? You know, I mean, some of the stuff is really, you know, kind of eye-opening in terms of what it's all about. Right. I've had one of my students in the class, you know, has OCD. And so she volunteered to come back and give her story. So this is kind of an equal age person yeah. coming in and saying what it's like to have anxiety and OCD. And some of you students probably have that. You know? right. So it really does. It brings into the foreground. And I think it opens up a lot of things that the students may be thinking about yeah. but haven't thought about. And then it brings it to their attention. I wonder if that like neutralizes some stigmas around certain conditions too, like mental health conditions, like it neutralizes stigma and kind of puts that personal perspective on it and, and does like makes you think like, Oh, that's actually a lot different than some of my own assumptions about that condition. Yeah, exactly. The other thing I believe very strongly in is that uh, we learn by experience. Mm -hmm. so what the, the course I have or teach 
we introduce two things that are experiential in addition to having the person who has a condition come in. That's kind of experiential as well. Sure. And second person, if you will. What I do, I, I tell the students the following. I say, look, um, in this course, we're going to talk about a number of chronic conditions. And many of those chronic conditions have some genetic base. And you're all born with genes that you didn't have any choice about getting, but you got them. But you do have a choice about what happens to them. You can turn them on or you can prevent them from getting turned on. Mm -hmm. And so in this course, we're going to, going to talk about two things that I think are very essential in turning on or upping the risk of these conditions. One is chronic stress. Acute stress is wonderful. You know, you've got to run away from the lion. <laughs> but chronic stress, which all you have all the time, isn't good for you. When it turns on your, your pituitary adrenal system, so you get cortisol raised up, and that's not good for your body. It turns on hypertension and the whole gamut of stuff. And the other thing, it turns on your sympathetic nervous system. Or your adrenaline comes up. And that's not good for you. So we've got to do something to help you decrease the chronic stress in you have in your life. And you all probably do something. I don't care what it is, but you got to do something. You know, whether it's running or singing or dancing or something, you got to do. But for pragmatic reasons, in this course, we're going to meditate. So the second session we have, we I have a, a gal come in and talk about mindfulness, mindfulness meditation. And then every uh, session we have, we begin the session with five minutes of meditation. That's so great. So I want the students to kind of feel what that's like. Yeah. Does it work? Is it helpful? And hopefully, if it is, you incorporate some of that into your daily life and decrease this chronic stress that you have. The other thing I tell them is what is influential in at least five or six of these chronic conditions is what you put in your mouth. And we're gonna push a plant-based diet. And our textbook is a China study. This book. Ah, okay. Okay. We'll have to, we'll put that, we'll have to link to that. I don't know if everyone's heard of the China study book. Well, it's it's a phenomenal story. It's uh, written by Colin Campbell, who's a nutritionist from Cornell and co-edited with his son, who's a physician. And uh, it talks about you know, the, the benefits of a plant-based diet. And I tell them, I said, look, I've been a vegetarian for 25 years now. I'm an old guy and I'm doing <laughs> great. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm very active. I, you know, we do tumamak, you know, and we don't do it once, we do it twice. On Monday and Wednesday, we go up and down twice. That's such a and great Friday, Friday we do eight miles. So we go all the way up and then come back to where the potties are, and then go up to the top again four more times. We'll do that five times. And it's, you know, eight miles. Yeah. You know? well, and and I'm, I'm, I can do it. You know, I've got no problem with that. You know, I'm, I'm 87 years old, and I love what I do, mm -hmm. and I'm surviving. And a lot of it, I think, is because of what I eat and mm -hmm. the activity. Mm -hmm. And I tell them that, you know, and I say, okay. You know, it's up to you. Right. And the experiential part of it, I tell them the following, that Thomas uh, uh, Campbell, 
is the moderator of a documentary called Plant Pure Nation. Mm-hmm. It's very much like Forks Over Knives. And uh, what he did, he tried to get the uh, Kentucky legislators to put one little sentence in one of the bills that says plant food is good for you. And the legislators would not do it. Mm. You know, Colonel Sanders came along and said, you can't do that. (laughs) And so he said, I'm going to see how good this stuff is. So he goes to a small town in North Carolina Mm -hmm. and gets 15 people to go on a plant pure diet for 10 days. And he does biometrics on them, a baseline on the 11th day, lipid profile. And the change is dramatic. It ends just to about 150 people. So I told the students, I said, we're going to do this in class. And we'll have volunteers, anyone who wants to do this. Mm-hmm. We'll provide lunch and dinner for you. We'll get Urban Fresh to make the meals. Uh-huh. And I'll pay half the cost. You pay the other half. And we'll do biometrics on you at baseline on the 11th day and see what happens. And so this is kind of the experience of eating plant-based diet for 10 days. Yeah. Some of the students say, you know, I, I was still hungry. I needed more food. Others say, God, I never felt better. Yeah. <laughs> you don't feel so sluggish. I can get up and move a lot better and stuff. And so I would say there's, there's differences. And I, right. I understand that the people's biology is different. There's not one thing fits everybody. Right. You know, some people need a fish. Some people need the Mediterranean diet. Which includes like a little bit, just for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, what a Mediterranean diet, it has a little bit of of animal products in it. I love what you said, though, because I think that's so important to point out is like the base of your diet has plants in it. So it's not like this it's not like everyone has to be vegan or raw or it doesn't have to go to that extreme. You're, it sounds like a lot of this is just understanding that like if the base has more fresh fruits and vegetables and, and, and grains and is more leans towards plants, that that can be, that could be a big enough change for someone's diet to see a lot of benefit. Exactly. You know, we spend some time also on labels. Mm-hmm. I have the students go to the, to the grocery store and look at labels. You know, and I, you know, years ago, when I looked at food, buy food in the grocery store, I kind of look at two things, the calorie count and the price. <laughs> but there's a lot more in those labels than that. And so I decided, okay, I heard that if you, you know, if you see more than five ingredients in a thing, put it back on the shelf. So, you know... So, so these are some of the things that we hope, and the students present that at one of the stations we have. They get up and talk about, you know, reading labels and what it is. And I think those are great tips that, you know, you've talked about so far, Dr. Duncan. And I absolutely, like you talking about your class that you have, I think your class sounds amazing, first of all. Like, I would love to be a part of that class. And I really love that. It sounds like the theme of, like your class and how you just do like your work and in your life, it sounds like the overall theme is is very inclusive, which I think is awesome. Like for example, when you teach your class, like you don't have the quiz, but you have it where they reflect and they're able to 
connect personal things to to how they learned and I think that's so great along with when you mentioned the plant-based diet you know not everyone can uh, handle doing a fully plant-based diet so it's it's great in moderation you know some people do need the fish or, or the meat and I think that's so so great I love that inclusivity and so and you did mention that the uh, the China study talks about the benefits of a plant-based diet. So when someone, so say someone is wanting to start a plant-based diet, how do you, how would you suggest someone goes about approaching it? I believe kind of in, in jumping in rather than doing things incrementally. And, but I think you also got to get a cookbook that tells you how to cook plant-based food. Um, because it, you know, it's not just a matter of heating up the beans and eating them. You've got to make the stuff delicious and you've got to make it you know, attractive uh, or you're not going to like it. So I guess I'd first of all have them go to a restaurant that specializes in plant-based food and try out the menu and see what they like. Uh, and if it's just very distasteful to it, well, then maybe that isn't for you. I think I'd try that first, and then if it looks like it's going to be okay and you like that, well, then I'd get a, a very good plant-based vegetarian cookbook and do some of the uh, menus that are, are there. So that, that's kind of the way I think I would do it. I think the cookbook idea is a really good idea. The um, We bought, because our family tries to do like one more plant forward dinner a week or whatever. I think it's America's test kitchen. Vegetarian cooking is what we, we bought because it tells you like, if you've never cooked, I don't remember like off the top of my, like if you've never cooked a vegetarian dish before it like um, separates it into how much time you have. So if you have very little time, like these are some great vegetarian dishes. If you have more time, here are some other options. Cause some of, just because some of the preparation could be time consuming, so I thought that cookbook, and we can link to it um, if folks are interested, but just kind of gives, and I think cooking on campus does some vegetarian options quite yeah. often, just because I think vegetarian dishes tend to be lower cost than, than non-vegetarian options right. or plant-based options. The restaurants have really got into this. Uh, yeah. When I first you know, went on a vegetarian diet, you know, the only thing that was on the menu was I get a side dish of beans and rice. You know that was kind of it. But now there there are some options. You know, usually more than one or two options on the menu uh, that you can kind of choose from. So I, I think it's it's catching on. It's slow, but it's catching on. And mm -hmm. you know, one step at a time, we'll get there. Right. Like I think the the fact that you mentioned uh, that resource, Ashley, because like I didn't even I don't even I didn't even think that resources like that exist, even though like they obviously do. So I think that would be a great resource for people who are like they literally have no idea about plant based diets. And I mean, I think for us, it's different because we come from nutrition like background. So it's like, oh, like plant based diet, diet this plant based diet that but even sometimes like I hear of new things and if I see it in the store, I'm like, how do you even make that? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's great that, you know, the times are changing and that restaurants have, have those options and we, we can experiment those things. I guess that's a good point is like how students can approach, like how can they approach including a couple more plants 
in their, like college students, how can college students approach including a couple more plants in their week, in their day, and not, I, I don't know, not feel paralyzed with like, this is not the right kind of plant. You know what I mean? Like how, how do you tell the students to even go about when they're done with the 10 days, like if they want to continue it in their life, how to go about it in a way that's flexible and uh, practical for like someone living on campus or thing. Do, do you guys talk about that in the class at all? No, we don't really. That's a good idea to, to include in that. You know, I don't cook very much, so I'm not real good at this sort of thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got to tell you, when <laughs> my wife died about uh, seven years or so ago. And, um, you know, I had to kind of readjust my life. Yeah. And um, one of it was cooking. Yeah. And so I talked to my daughter who lives in Cincinnati, and she said, well, I'll teach you. I said, how can you do that? Well, we'll get on FaceTalk or FaceTalk, whatever it is. And uh, so every Tuesday, she would send me a list of ingredients. I had no idea what it was going to be, at, what it was going to make into. And then Wednesday evening, around four or five, we get on FaceTalk together. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, Dad, go in and get the pan. I said, where is it? And she'd tell me where it was. I'd bring it back. Is it? No, no, that's too small. Get the bigger one. So I go back and get it. And then she she walked me through cooking this meal that ingredients she had given me to do it. I mean, it was a wonderful time to spend with my daughter. Oh, I love that. Whole hour and so and stuff. It was a great working relationship. And so she yeah. taught me about cooking. I still needed a lot of information and a lot of learning, but that helped a lot. Absolutely. So it was kind of, you know... It was the in, in, internet going on here before COVID came along. So. You were uh, you were ahead of the times because we just we just switched our uh, our cooking on campus program just switched to virtual cooking classes, and mm-hmm. so students can learn from uh, Christy Wilson, the other dietitian who does all of the cooking classes and the students. And I think I think you're right. And if you've never done it, I think starting with, you know, a guide, whether it be a cookbook, a restaurant that you feel you order something that's plant-based at a restaurant, you feel inspired by those tasty flavors and you go home and try to replicate it. Or maybe you just keep going to that restaurant or you, um, you know, you reach out to a cooking class that can kind of give you just one idea on how to kind of get things going. Um, because to be honest, we have favorite plant-based dishes we make at home and we don't always like adventure out. We just have a really tasty one that we make quite often. It's, it's honestly, it's a Mexican burrito bowl and we make it and we make it a lot and we change it a little bit every time, but that's kind of what feels good for us right now. Um, yeah. Gerbine, did you have a question for Dr. Duncan? Yeah, I actually do. I, could you just like quickly differentiate for like people who don't know, like the difference between vegan, vegetarian, and plant-based diets? Because they all kind of like melt together for people who don't understand what they are. Well, first of all, the, the vegetarian and the vegan. The, the vegetarian is plant. If you're, if you're a complete vegetarian, it, it's plant. And, mm-hmm. and you know, produce, vegetarian, vegetables, and fruits. If you're vegan, then you have to eliminate all animal products. And the strict vegan will even eliminate honey mm-hmm. because it's made by a bee. But it's all dairy you have to get rid of. No cheese, no milk, no eggs. 
So that's kind of the differentiation between the vegan and the vegetarian. Okay. And then what about the plant-based? Is it like in the middle between vegan and vegetarian or like vegetarian and like just a regular um, like eating style? Or is it just like more including plants into your um, like eating habits? The plant base is simply, it's, it's based with plants. Mm-hmm. You can throw in uh, fish. It's like the Mediterranean diet. Okay. Which okay. is kind of fish and vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I see. It, 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 you know, plant-based means that it's the fundamental aspect is plant. And oh, okay. Meat, usually fish thrown in. And a lot of people feel fish is extremely important. Mm-hmm. It's, got, yeah. it, it's got the omegas in it, the omega-3s in it, which you know, are extremely anti-inflammatory, which is good. You know, I, I eat a lot of nuts. And I used to really pretty much concentrate on almonds. But almonds are omega, omega-6s, which are inflammatory. So now I kind of eat a walnut with an uh, almond. The, almond, the walnuts are omega-3s, so it kind of balances each other out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, people, I feel like people always ask me, like, which nuts are the best nuts? And I'm like, a variety <laughs> of all of them. They give you different stuff, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to get different stuff from a walnut or, you know, Braz, uh, Brazil nuts are really high in selenium. And, you know, almonds have some monounsaturated fats that are really good. So I love that example that Dr. Duncan's saying is like some variety because you're going to get different stuff from different foods um which i think is really cool you know what i wanted to just mention which i think is kind of like the umbrella of what we're talking about too is a plant-based diet or a a, uh the 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 meal pattern that dr duncan is even putting you know these students on for 10 days fruits and vegetables and grains and all those foods have carbohydrates in them so i think it's so fun to hear all of those foods and 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 to see that they have such health benefits because I think right now carbohydrates get a real bad rap and people talk about pushing protein and getting more protein and and meat and someone yesterday told me about a carnivore diet that where all you eat is meat and you eat nothing no vegetables and then so I just think it's so important like this is a plant-based diet and it's got mostly all carbohydrates and it makes people feel amazing. And there's all these health benefits. So it's like taking bits and pieces of what works for your body. I don't know. Do you, do you get that pushback sometimes, Dr. Duncan? Like these are carbohydrates. <laughs> no, I, I do. And I think we have to talk about carbohydrates in, in two different ways. We got simple carbohydrates and we got complex carbohydrates. Mm, mm-hmm. The simple carbohydrates raise your glucose very rapidly. True. And so your insulin comes in and attacks that high glucose, and that can really lead to diabetes. The complex carbohydrates are more slowly metabolized. Right. Some of them aren't even broken up at all, or some of them aren't, you know, ingested or digested at all. Right. They go to your colon. And they become the uh, prebiotics, not the probiotic, but the prebiotics. The prebiotics are the foods that feed the probiotics. And these come from the complex carbohydrates. So I know that people talk about, you know, the carbohydrates, but it's got to be separated into what are you talking about? Is it simple stuff? Yeah. You know, the simple carbohydrates are sugar. Sure. You know? 
corn, mm-hmm. some of those things are very easily digested, right. throw up your glucose rapidly, right. and the complex carbohydrates are not. Right. They also fill you up better. I was just about to say that. I was like, I think people notice that even when they eat it, like the difference that you feel if you want to go do an activity, if you have like, if you, I don't know, if you have something that's more complex than whole grain versus if you have something that's more quick and it might not just keep you satisfied as long. And I think people, people are really good about noticing that in their bodies, that, that kind of increase and then the crash versus like this increase in energy and stability that you're talking about with those complex carbohydrates, you get a nice kind of level blood sugar study. Exactly. If you run a marathon, you're probably going to want those simple carbohydrates because you need that boost of energy very rapidly. Right. It's going to go off and take that and throw it to your muscles. Yes. Where the energy is needed. You think it's, you think it's important to, to, make sure folks know the difference and that there are there there is a difference. Exactly. So Dr. Duncan, I just have one more question for you. What is a good resource for students to um, educate themselves more about a plant-based diet? Well, I, I, again, the textbook I use is a, is a China study. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. There's other things. Yeah. One, one is the Okinawan program. Oh, okay. Okay. This has to do with the blue zones. Mm, I've heard about those. <laughs> I've heard of those. Our my boss, our boss Lisa, has a cookbook about the blue zones. Well, there, there are seven places in the world that where they have the highest percentage of people who lived over a hundred years of age, and uh, Okinawa is one of those places. And the 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 ingredients of the long life are one: what you eat, staying active. Okay. Decreasing the stress in your life by meditation or yoga or something like that. And thirdly, social support. Yep, or environment. Yeah. And those four ingredients are extremely important in longevity and not just living long, it's being active. Yeah, they all play together for sure. Yeah, that's that's those are such great resources. Thank you so much for, for educating us on that. And so before we end, we do want to wrap up by asking you our rapid fire questions. Um, So hopefully you were able to look those over. Um, So our first question for you is, if you could only have three foods ever again, what would they be? Uh, They'd be nuts, um, beans, and probably butternut squash. Ooh, that's a good one. Roasted or like, how do you, is, do you like it roasted or steamed? Roasted, roasted. So good. That's really good. Next one is breakfast or dinner? Uh, Dinner because I have socialization. Breakfast I can eat by myself. So I like the socialization. I think think that's important. A great reason. Uh, Next one is crunchy tacos or soft tacos? Well, I, I like the crunchy ones, yeah. Like that crunch, all right. And last question is, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Nelson Mandela, and um, Martin Luther King. Awesome. Those are good, all good. good dinner party. Yep. 
good conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Duncan, for spending time with us this morning and sharing all of that great information. And your class really sounds amazing. Uh, I think students who don't know about it might be, you know, coming in droves to sign up for it. We have a great time. I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoy it. And, and this, uh, this internet thing, you know, has been okay. The beauty of the human experience, I feel like, is folks are are adaptable and like they are adapting well, I think, like, especially the students, I've been so impressed with the adaptability of the students moving on to the online format and all you great instructors that are willing to kind of translate your programs to um, an online platform. So we just appreciate you so much and the work you do and, and yeah, we are, we're, you know, honored to have you today. Well, you all are very nice to put up with me and uh, listen a bit and the exchange has been very good. I, I appreciate your asking me. Thank you. Awesome. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Please share with your friends and connect with us on all our Campus Health social channels. And you can also email us at chs-nutritionnavigators at email.arizona.edu to submit your questions and comments about the show. We are so excited to be bringing you monthly content to spark curiosity and further empower you to feel your best. So please subscribe to the podcast. And if you haven't already, we would love if you could leave a rating and review so it's easier for folks to find us. And so also we know how, how we're doing. We sp we're sponsored by Campus Health and our program in health promotion and preventive services. We want to thank Dr. Duncan so much from the College of Public Health for coming on the show and taking the time to talk with us about plant-based diets and ways college students can work that into their everyday lives. We'd also like to thank our sound engineer and editor, Brian Paradise, for coordinating this show. He is from our undergraduate recruitment at admissions. Until next time, be well, Wildcats.